Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics. We are having a special editor show today. It is Pat Sloan's birthday, and she is on a cruise, so we are letting her celebrate, and we are having a fun segment today with some of our editors. So I'm here with Jody Sanders, who's the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and Joanna Bergerino, who is the new editor for Quilts and More. So this is probably the first time you listeners get to meet Joanna. <laughs> happy birthday, Pat. Yeah, happy birthday, yes, Pat. Happy birthday. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you are a follower of Pat's um, Facebook groups or pages, you might want to do a little shout out for her birthday there. So... Um, We are going to be talking a little bit about our time at Quilt Market, which we just got back from about a month ago. Um, And so we're finally doing some wrap-ups. We're talking about trends, and we are going to share some of that info for you you today. So we're going to get started. And I'm Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. And I just want to give you a little background before we start talking about the things that we saw is to tell you what an international quilt market is. For those of you who maybe are unfamiliar, it is for trade show only, uh, geared toward quilt shop owners. So it is an opportunity for them to uh, see all the latest and greatest things from sewing machine companies and fabric companies, designers, um, new innovations in tools and gadgets, scissors, thread, anything you can think of that a quilt shop owner might be interested in seeing. And so it's at the George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston, and it's every fall, usually around Halloween, the last weekend in October. Uh, after that event is something consumers may be more familiar with, which is uh, festival. And festival is the consumer part of that, where many of the vendors stay down for an additional four or five days, and there's things that um, quilters can come in and purchase and buy, and it's sometimes it's 50 to 60,000 people that attend festival. One of the fun things that happened this year with Market is, it's always exciting, but this year the Houston Astros, the hometown team, was playing in the World Series, and they actually had three games in Houston while we were there at Market, and so we would be at the hotel bar at night or around having dinner somewhere, and there would be lots of people gathered around the television sets uh, watching the games, and they won, and so um, at Festival, which was then the next Friday, they had the World Series Champion Parade uh, right in front of, by the George R. Brown, which is close mm-hmm. to Minute Maid Stadium. And they had the streets closed down from 10 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. So a lot of excitement going on in Houston while we were there. And I think, too, it was especially exciting to see just with Houston having all of the flooding during the mm-hmm. hurricane, um, to have, one, so many people gathering there and kind of helping those businesses, um, but to have them win the World Series and have all of that excitement and fun and, you know, something to rally behind was really exciting. And I was just so impressed. Like, I had never been to Houston before, and when I was there, you would have never known that, you know, you know, the, all the hurricane damage and everyone was so friendly and really... They just banded together, and it, it felt really inspiring to be there. And very appreciative, I think. You know, I think there was some talk of 
you know, would people go to market? Were things really going to be ready? And they definitely were. And um, a lot of the hospitality workers in particular were very appreciative um, to have everybody come and spend money and eat out. And so that was just a a really fun atmosphere to be around. And I should say that uh, International Quilt Market is held twice a year. The fall market is always in Houston, and then the spring market rotates to different cities. So Portland, Salt Lake City, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis, Kansas City, mm-hmm. St. Louis, uh, they rotate different cities through, so it's in different parts of the country. Uh, but it, the fall market is always held in Houston um, in conjunction with festival. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we get the opportunity to do um, as editorial staff is to go and have visits with all these different companies and to see their latest and greatest and what's happening. And it's really fun for us because we get to walk the show floor for three or four days. We get to sit in on some educational sessions and find out about new books that are coming out, uh, new designers that are hitting the market, what their inspiration is. And so today we just want to take the time to kind of give you some feedback from mm-hmm. us about what we saw. We always come back as an, as a group and kind of debrief. We, mm-hmm. Take a few days to get all of our notes together and get organized, and then we get together as a group and say, well, what did you see? What did you see? And so uh, we've had the opportunity to do that. Now we want to share share that with you guys as our listeners. And one thing that was really interesting was this was actually my very first time going to Quilt Market. I've been editing in the quilting industry for several years now, but I've just never had a chance to go. So I would come in with fresh eyes for everything, and there were times when I was like, oh, I'm so excited, and, you know, I'm I'm so revved up, and I'm not tired at all. And everyone's like, oh, you're a newbie. It's it's cute. but The one thing that is really inspiring about being at market is you do go home or back to your oh, motel yeah. room every night wanting to make something. I came back every night thinking, oh, I wish I had my sewing machine here because mm-hmm. I would love to go back to my room and sew with a, you know, sample packet of fabric that I got or um, something else. But you usually are pretty tired by the time we yeah. have all the meetings during the day and dinners at night. Um, by the time you get back to your motel room at yeah. 10 or 10.30, you're kind of tired and need to get some sleep ready for the next yeah. day. But it definitely I felt, is inspiring. I felt it by the third day, for sure. <laughs> the first day, everything was shiny and bright and intense. And then by the third day, I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. let's talk about some of the trends that we saw, maybe. Sure. I think the first things on people's mind maybe is color. And what kinds of things that we saw for color. Mm -hmm. So, Joanna, do you want to talk about a couple of color things that you noticed? Sure. Well, right off the bat, blue and white are still really popular. I think they're always going to be popular. But one thing that was interesting is that the general trend towards teal has been morphing a little bit. And I saw a lot of really dark teals, jade colors. Um, Some of the booths called it Mallard, which I think is the Pantone color name for it. Um, so it's really interesting seeing all the different ways that the trends shift over time. So even though we're still seeing blue and white, we're still seeing teal. We're seeing also some of the deeper tones of it and how people are playing around with what's really popular. And, you know, blue and white's popular no matter what the genre was. Yes. So we saw it in feed sack fabrics. Um, we saw it in reproduction fabrics. We saw it in batiks. Um, we just solids. Yeah. I mean, everything blue and white was, was still very popular. Right. Um, but that mallard tone that you talked about was also usually paired with uh, a coral or mm-hmm. something that was kind of in the orange, you know, the opposite right. of itself on the color wheel. So yes. we saw a lot of complementary colors that yeah. way coming together. But definitely that mallard, uh, dark teal, blue, mm-hmm. green kind of color is something that we saw, I guess, more than I had seen lately yeah. with that. 
um, and navy more as a background than black mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Um, that we'd seen, you know, you see a black background or you see a white background on a floral. Well, now we were seeing maybe a navy right. background with maybe some purples and pinks. Um, yes. And purples and pinks and sparkle mm-hmm. were very popular. Yes. Um, we saw that in unicorns. We mm-hmm. saw it in um, gauze and fabrics that were maybe for making uh, child garments. Right. Um, there were also quite a few blush pinks, kind of that dusty pink. Um, I really feel like that's coming in from the fashion industry because we're seeing that a lot in shirts, and now it's starting to make its way into floral prints and, and different fabrics. And, you know, the floral trend or the... Um, Color trends do take a little bit longer in the fabric industry just because mm-hmm. we sometimes see it later than we see it in other industries. So mm-hmm. it is interesting to know that the things that we are seeing now in fashion are probably going to start showing up in the quilting industry right. in your stores probably next spring sometime because we mm-hmm. were seeing it at market now. And by the time it actually gets in your store, it'll probably be another Another six months or so. Um, Anything else with color that you guys can think of? Um, Not so much color, but just the trend towards maybe like low volume backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I know for a while we were seeing a lot of solids, like solid white, solid black for backgrounds. And I think now you're getting a lot of great tone on tones or some of the more um, low volume backgrounds Mm -hmm. on prints and in the quilts. And with the low volume, you're seeing a little hint of color. So -hmm. it's not necessarily a white on white or the gray Mm -hmm. on white, but you're seeing bits of of teal and lime green and orange and fuchsia in very, very small amounts. And so you just get a hint of it once it's cut up and put in smaller pieces of a quilt. But it's just enough interest to kind of spark your eye and go, Mm -hmm. what is that? You know, what is that motif? Or what is it that that's a little bit of lime green? Um, Which I think just adds interest to the quilt as well. And I think we're still seeing rainbow as a trend. I know Mm -hmm. we have seen a lot of rainbow quilts. um, And I think we're still seeing those really great gradations of colors and quilts, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily like a red, orange, yellow, but maybe variations of those hues. Yeah. Um, and kind of along with that, a little, still more ombre, I think, too. Yes. We're still seeing that in that. a particular, maybe two or three colors, mm-hmm. where from salvage to salvage, you're seeing it go from red to orange to gold, and you're seeing the different intensities of the mm-hmm. color. Um, but I think the ombre is still probably pretty popular with a lot of the design or a lot of the uh, fabric companies yeah. as well and boutiques we saw lots lot of, of boutiques, boutiques. Yeah. Um, if the company didn't have a boutique already they were probably introducing it at mm-hmm. market so most of the companies now either have acquired another company that does boutiques or they're doing it themselves mm-hmm. but um, you'll be seeing a lot more boutiques in and I think part of the reason for that is they're a little more evergreen um, I think sometimes for a patterned fabric you're accustomed to what that pattern is, whether it's a floral or whatever it might be. But with the batiks, it's much more subtle. It's all about the color um, and the intensity of the color. And so I think they're a little easier for shops to keep in their store um, and sell a little longer because it's not a a specific pattern that you're seeing. It's not quite as time sensitive. Yeah, it doesn't seem as dated, I think. You know, if you look at a batik from 10 years ago to now, certainly those that are you know, very um, in tune to that, I think, would notice a difference. But for, I think, the general consumer, you know, boutiques, they do keep getting better and better, and the color is wonderful. But I think you can intermix and intersperse a boutique from 10 years ago with a boutique that's being made now. Yeah, Yeah, so we are going to take a short break, and we will be back after the commercials to talk more about the whole market trip.
Hi, I'm Linda Augsburg, Executive Editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and I'd like to invite you to join me in making pillowcases and creating smiles. For people who love to sew or quilt, it's so easy to lift spirits and bring smiles to hospitalized kids, homeless families, and others in need. Simply join American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine's One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Make one, two, or many more pillowcases and donate them in your local community. You'll create just as many smiles. Join the movement today. Find complete details, download free patterns, and record your donations online at allpeoplequilt.com backslash million pillowcases. Quilt along with us in 2016. Join our third annual quilt along by making a quilt, a one block pillow, or all four projects featuring plus sign designs. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quiltalong for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. back to the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast. We are going to continue our conversation about trends we saw at the Sears Quilt Market. You know, we talked about color a lot, and I think now maybe we can shift mm-hmm. over to motifs. Mm-hmm. And Joanna, what were some of the most popular things that you saw? Um, well, florals, obviously. There's still tons of florals. One thing I noticed that roses kept popping up quite a bit, um, usually very styled roses, and I also saw a lot of very sketchy motifs where um, less toward like realism and more towards the artist's interpretation of that particular pattern which really kind of en- adds a nice um, personalized touch I think because you can definitely tell which designer made which fabrics and it really gives a you know unified look to it uh, I also noticed that there were a lot of metallics mixed into the motifs and especially with even things where you wouldn't necessarily expect metallic, like cork fabric was everywhere. And some of the cork fabrics had the, the metallics worked into them, which was really cool to see. And, um, yeah, another thing with motifs is that there was a lot of emphasis on fussy cutting, for sure. And how you could, especially, you could work that into English paper piecing, which, Jody, I know you're super fond of, so. I am, and they had some new English paper piecing projects, um, from paperpieces.com introduced the Brimfield block, which is based on an antique quilt that was uh, purchased at the Brimfield uh, antique market. And so it was fun to see an old pattern then reinterpreted into a new design. I know Tula Pink mm-hmm. also has a new project with them that's English paper piecing. Um, we saw Dresdens that were both English paper piecing mm-hmm. and pieced. Uh, but I think, you know, kind of getting back to some of the, the motif things, mm-hmm. you know, animals lately, they kind of come and go. We've seen the forest animals for uh, the fox and um, a lot of those kinds of animals, the owl. Mm-hmm. But we didn't see as much of that. I think that finally has kind of hit the end of that trend. Mm-hmm. We were seeing things like um, if it was a forest animal, it was a squirrel or a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a different 
raccoons. Um, right. Less hedgehogs. Kind of, yes. Yeah. Um, but we saw cats. Cats were everywhere. Cats so if you're a cat everywhere. person, uh, be on the lookout because there are a lot of cat fabrics out there mm-hmm. and will be coming more. Uh, we also saw not as many dog fabrics, and part of that we found out is because dog people tend to be more breed-specific. Which is so true, by the way, because I'm a dog person, and I'm always looking for the spaniel. I even told a few of the shop owners, but where's the spaniel? So. <laughs> and we did see, like, French bulldogs, so that was yes, kind of a specific sure. breed that we did see a fair number mm-hmm. of. But Lindsay's kind of a cat person, and she was, yes. like, crushing on all of those cat <laughs> fabrics. Oh, yes. I think we've seen, I mean, if you are a person that spends time, on the internet or YouTube. There are yeah. so many cat memes and funny videos that have been taking over the internet for a while, yes. so I am excited it's finally creeping into fabric. Yes. We saw ho- uh, horses and sloths and flamingos, so those are just kind of some of the animals that you may be right. seeing popping up in fabrics in your stores. And I think, too, going along with maybe like the sloth and flamingos, more of the tropical or rainforest, which I think goes along with some of the color trends that we were seeing with the, you know, deeper teals and the corals, kind of the beachy uh, rainforest with those greens and deeper colors. (laughs) We also saw some other motifs besides the animals. Um, One of the things I noticed was like the succulent trend in cactus that, you know, we've been seeing that as actual plants in your home and now it's making its way onto fabrics as well. Mm -hmm. So we saw some really nice succulent and cactus fabrics. And patterns too, I think. (laughs) It's it's interesting because I feel like I saw a lot of succulent patterns first and now I feel like they're working their way onto the fabric itself versus just the pattern. So So maybe you're using a (coughs) tone-on-tone or a solid to make your wall hanging that had a succulent paper piece pattern in it and now what you're finding is those succulents are in fabrics that you could put in the border um so it's just kind of you know the natural evolution i guess of how things work but it was interesting to see that making its way onto prince's fabric right and while it's not necessarily a motif i did notice that there were a lot more panels this time around than i had seen before and they were used in really interesting ways it wasn't just like here's one big thing that you can make a wall hanging out of it was here's a tree skirt but we left the circle out so you can use as a table topper if you want to here's an advent calendar here's a stocking um And there's lots of different projects you can do, not just, all right, here's one panel, do whatever you can think of. And I thought the artwork was really nice. A mm-hmm. lot of them that I saw were holiday-related. Yes. So it was either Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, uh, very definitely kind of the fall and winter season. So, again, you'll be seeing those in your shops the spring to then prepare for next fall and next winter. But they really, really nice artwork and, and a good way to get a head start on a project like a wall hanging or a small lap quilt mm-hmm. where you have that center part of it done and then you can build out adding borders or blocks or anything right. you want to do to make it whatever size right. is convenient for you. Plus panel quilts are a great way to practice your quilting because there's just there's a lot of space there and you can get it done quickly so you can get to the quilting And you faster. don't have to spend you know, worry about wasting your piecing time. Exactly um, if, that. If too. it doesn't turn out the way you <laughs> were expecting. And yeah. also, if you have difficulty figuring out quilting patterns, those mm-hmm. panels you can kind of follow 
uh, the you know whatever if it's a Santa Claus, you know you can follow along the outside of the design of the Santa, or if it's a an animal of some court some sort, you can follow mm-hmm. you know along the outside. So it also gives you a pre you know printed already really quilting right. design that you can follow without having to decide. Oh my gosh, do I put a cable here or do I put a feathered wreath or right. what do I do? So I think that's also yeah. a benefit for people. That's actually something that helped me learn how to stitch in the ditch properly when I was first learning how to quilt because learning how to follow the line where exactly your stitches will go based on how you line up your needle is it's an important skill but it's surprisingly tricky like I mean a lot of people have probably tried stitching in the ditch and they were surprised that their line wobbled or it wasn't quite in the ditch Um, so yeah that was actually one thing that I did just to learn to get better at putting the needle where I wanted it to go was following along on panels. One of the other things we noticed were kind of celestial, I guess I would call motifs. So things like lightning bolts and clouds and constellations mm-hmm. and stars. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of those kinds of prints yeah. that I was seeing as well and I, patterns. I feel like they paired those a lot with some of the fantasy themed fabrics. So like the unicorns would get a nice star print to go with them. So if you couldn't necessarily use the unicorns from a line, you could use the stars. Um, there are also um, gnomes. I saw pop up quite a bit, some really cute gnome patterns, and I kind of want to try them. (laughs) And um, what else? Uh, Fairies also popped up quite a bit, and they were usually paired with those celestial-type prints. I think also words and tiny text was another motif that we saw. A few years ago, we saw a lot of numbers, and I think now it's kind of moved on to letters and text more specifically Mm -hmm. um, and all over and again a lot of it kind of in the low volume genre I think too where you're seeing almost like a a cursive print from somebody's Mm -hmm. diary or something that's repeated or a newspaper print um, that that can be cut up in interesting ways and really give you interesting movement in the backgrounds of your quilts mostly for backgrounds I think I don't I don't know that I would I think of those uh, prints as being more supporting prints to your blocks probably versus really the star I do feel like I saw a lot of cursive and it's interesting because text style or text-based prints I feel like they kind of come and go as a trend, but I feel like this is the first time we've really seen them quite so low-volume background-themed, at least in my opinion. And I think the interesting thing about the cursive is, you know, there's also so much talk right now about kids not learning cursive anymore, Mm -hmm. or they can't read cursive anymore. So to be seeing that, it has a little bit of a vintage or older Mm -hmm. vibe to it, and I think that's part of the reason why for that as well. It feels very personal and personalized to me, and it kind of ties back into that sketchy fabric where going more toward the personalized elements versus maybe some more of the bold or standardized elements. Yeah. So did you guys want to talk a little bit about um, maybe how people are personalizing their projects? Because I think that goes along with some of the trends we were seeing, too. I think one of the things people are are getting more bold about is also mix and matching Mm -hmm. their fabric. So we saw wool with cotton, with flannel, with you know, some gauze making for garments. So Mm -hmm. I think they're really taking a hard look at a pattern, but then they say, well, how can I make it mine? How can I personalize it? So we see beautiful flosses and threads and beads Mm -hmm. and ribbons that are all hand-dyed that then you can add to maybe a commercial pattern that you're making to just make it your own, you know, personalize it, Mm -hmm. Um, whether you're making it for yourself or you're making it for a gift. I saw at least two different booths that had, like, stick-on gems or, like, bedazzling your quilts. And I was like, wow. I I could even see it from afar when you're walking the rows. I'm like, that quilt sparkles. 
So that's one way I think people are starting to embellish more and really trying to make their quilt stand out versus some of the others. And again, you might be making it for yourself or for a gift, but you know, you can make multiples of some of those patterns mm-hmm. and then you just can personalizing it by adding different colors or different stitches. Um, Sue Spargo continues to have a very innovative uh, booth, I think, and beautiful booth that a lot of people are interested in because she does add so many different textures to the applique projects that she does. So I think handwork very yeah. popular as well, whether it was wool applique or English paper piecing. We continue to see that very much as a strong th- uh, trend, I think, continuing as mm-hmm. well. There were also a lot of die cutter machines, which was interesting to see. I think there were, how many booths? Was it like I think five? Uh, six. Six. And I think part of that goes along with maybe the fussy cutting trend we're seeing. Exactly. People want to be able to position their fabric and cut out really intricate shapes with the design of the fabric. So I think we're seeing more people seeing the potential and how those machines can be used for those projects. I definitely think they go hand in hand. Especially with hexagons, too. If you're making a lot, it's easier to cut with a die cutter. (laughs) And the companies have gotten smart, so they have on the Mm -hmm. same die, whether you're cutting your your, uh, template Mm -hmm. piece or you're cutting your fabric. Um, and, you know, those are going to be two different sizes because you're going to need to add that seam allowance. So, Well, I find it interesting, too, that some of the dies are even changing. Like, different companies have different sizes and different thicknesses and um, trying to find different ways to reach different audiences depending on what their needs are. So, Perfect. So we are going to take another commercial break, and we will be back. <laughs> I'm Linda Augsburg. Join me for a fun video series called Show Me How, brought to you by Baby Luck. Each month, I'll show you how to complete a simple project from start to finish. Learn new techniques, see tips, and sew a great project with me. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash videos to watch. Get two full years of American Patrick and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com. Welcome back to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics. So for the last half of our show, we are going to do a little fun segment where we answer some fun quilting questions. And we're doing this just because, I mean, it's holiday season. I think it's kind of fun to think through, um, you know, less serious topics. (laughs) And also because you guys have never met Joanna, um, you'll get to know a little (laughs) bit about her and a little bit about all of the editors. And we're also joined by um, Lisa, who is the editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine. So you have all the editors now. So we are 
we're going to be sharing all of our favorite things. And um, feel free to answer some of these questions on your own. And you can submit them <laughs> to our Facebook page. You can take us on Instagram. We would love to know some of your answers. Okay, so I'm just going to get started asking the question, and we'll all go around in a circle, and um, we'll answer them. Okay. Okay, so when did you start quilting? Jody. Okay, mine mine goes back a few years. Uh, I, I'm going to also kind of talk to you about um, how I got started, not only the when, but the how, because I think that's an important part of the story. Uh, in 1989, my great aunt Gertrude celebrated her 100th birthday. And she was the oldest of seven. She was the only girl. My grandpa was one of her brothers. And she never married. And we always said that was because she was busy taking care of six boys. Uh, she was a quilter and always had a quilt uh, in her hand, even at the age of 100. We celebrated her birthday in the activity room of the Good Samaritan Home in Lorenz, Iowa, where she lived. And we all brought quilts that she had made over the years and had them on chairs in the activity room. And she had broken a hip 50 years earlier, so she'd been in a wheelchair for 50 years. And so she, you know, went around in her wheelchair to each of the quilts and talked about who it was made for and when it was made. And when it got my mom's turn, uh, she had made a quilt for my parents when they got married in 1962. And it was a beautiful pink and green applique quilt. And I was a social studies major and education major in college. And for me, the history and the sociology part of it was just very compelling. And so I was the oldest granddaughter in my generation, and I decided then that I wanted to be a quilter. And so I started taking classes at adult ed at a community college and got involved with um, a group uh, in Humboldt, Iowa. And then I moved later to Nevada, Iowa, and ha got involved in the Iowa Quilters Guild and some other local groups and just have really been supported the last 28 years by an amazing group of people that um, encouraged me and taught me. And I don't have sisters, and so... I have a brother, and then I have two sons, and so I don't have a lot of girl time with people. Um, I work with all women, but I don't have when I go home or when I want to go out and do something fun on the weekend. It's usually by myself. So the ladies that I quit with are just really an important part of uh, who I am and where I am now and to think that, you know, 28 years later, that I would be the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting is just amazing to me because I started 25 years ago when the magazine started. I was one of those readers. I was one of those people that was taking inspiration from the stuff that Heidi Kaisend was doing. And um, so I've been inspired by a long line of people, but initially got started by that, that one chance birthday celebration um, 28 years ago by an aunt. And by the way, Aunt Gertrude lived to be 104. And some people said it was because she never had any kids she had to worry about. I always said it was because she was always quilting. And there were uh, the picture of her in the local paper when she turned 100 was of her at the table uh, doing some piecing while they were talking about current events. Mm -hmm. So that's my story. Joanna. All right. So I actually have not been quilting very long. I started in 2012. Um, so it's been about five years and my story is not quite that inspiring. It's actually a little bit embarrassing. So I was fresh out of grad school, and it was right during the recession. 
And a job opened up as an editor in the quilting industry. And I thought, well, I've been a knitter my whole life. My mom taught me in first grade. And I've sewn stuff before. I know how to use a sewing machine. That's totally quilting. I got this. So I applied for the job. And they're like, oh, do you quilt? And I'm like, yeah. And I answered honestly, because I honestly thought I knew how to quilt. I didn't. Um, So anyway, so... About a week in, I got my first manuscript, and it was talking about the quilt sandwich, and I was thinking a literal sandwich, and I was so confused, and I thought, oh boy, I don't know how to quilt. What do I do? So thankfully, some of the people there, super nice, they had been quilting <clears throat> their entire lives, and they sat me down, and they're like, okay, we're going to show you a quarter-inch seam, we're going to show you how to do a quilt sandwich, we're going to show you how you put the pieces together, and I was hooked. It really didn't take very long. And I, I think it's because I've always been a crafter. It was just such a natural leap from, oh, yeah, I know how to use a sewing machine to make, like, Halloween costumes and easy things. And then they showed me quilting. And I was like, oh, this is fun. And this is, you know, so natural. Like, why haven't I been doing this for years and years? So that's actually how I got started by being really naive and kind of faking something on a resume. I didn't mean to, really. Honest. But I I thought I knew what quilting was, and I had no idea. But then the nice thing was the next editor we got, um, same position, they were adding positions, and she came in, and she had a little bit of sewing experience. She at least knew enough to know she didn't know how to quilt, but um, I got to teach her. So it was like paying it forward. I got to sit down and teach her the quarter-inch seam and teach her what a quilt sandwich was and, and how to do it, and she's been pretty hooked. Maybe not as hooked as I am, but... I had better teachers, so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Lisa. Okay, and I started quilting when I started working at uh, American Patchwork and Quilting in 2008. So I, you know, similar to Joanna, have been doing crafts my whole life, um, but not a whole lot of sewing. Um, And when I came on as the web editor back in 2008, uh, my supervisor said, you know, it would really make your job a lot easier if you knew, you know, what the instructions are and and how quilts go together. And so that's when I started learning kind of from the instruction side and then also kind of just got hooked as, be, you know, being around creative people and seeing the beautiful projects that we get in the office every day. It's really inspiring um, and made me want to learn more about it. So as a group, we all kind of learn from each other and and share our skills and each one of us it seems like has a different style and or expertise which is really great because if we have a question about a certain technique you know we can go to that editor or or art director or staff member that um you know likes that technique and can go to them so that's how i started and Mm -hmm. yeah definitely got hooked and have been trying different techniques throughout the years yeah I'm glad you mentioned the quilts in the office, though, because that was such a big thing, seeing other quilters work and being so inspired by it. Like, I feel really lucky that that's how I started my quilting journey was in the industry because you just you're surrounded by so much good stuff and you pick up such good habits. Yeah. 
Well, I have a very similar story to Lisa. I started quilting six years ago when I started working with the magazine and um, came on as the web editor and was writing all of the color options that go online. So I was pattern writing before I knew how to sew. Um, So it was very abstract. And then um, we're lucky enough to see a lot of the very recent fabric lines that come out. And I started collecting fabrics because it's pretty. Um, And then I had too much fabric. Um, And so I needed to do something with it. And I still have too much fabric. And um, But yeah made a quilt, made another quilt, and now um, I'm hooked, too. So we're lucky. Our staff is all quilters. <laughs> okay, so let's go to a question. How often do you quilt? And I know it's holiday season, so this answer may be <laughs> a little sad. <laughs> Probably busy with other things. You know, I think that because I've been quilting for so long, um, we go through these hills and valleys, and it's really natural for that to happen. There are periods of time where I get up and I sew for a half hour every morning before I come to work, and it's just something I do. It's enjoyable. It's a great way to start the day. And then there are times where it can be months, and I really don't sew anything for myself that's for fun. And I finally realized that that's okay. I mean, that happens, and I know that happens. And so it just can depend on uh, where you're at in your creative journey. It can depend on where you're at in your family journey or your work-life journey. Um, so whatever part I, – I can I can tell you from my husband's perspective, if I haven't sewn in a while – he can say, you know what, when was the last time you were in your sewing machine? You know, maybe you need to go sew for a little bit. <laughs> because it does feed my soul. I mean, I know that sounds kind of weird, but it really does. It feeds that creative side of me that I don't, um, you know, I get to see wonderful quilts every day and work with every every day, work with wonderful quilts. But sometimes it's different than actually doing it with your, your own hands. Um, I always have handwork, and a lot of times that will help suffice when I'm sitting in front of the TV, so... That's that's my story as far as how much mm-hmm. I quilt. It varies. Yeah. That's the short answer. <laughs> I very much go in spurts. There's usually like it's, it's usually weekends for me. Um, I'm just tired after work, so that doesn't happen. And it's usually like Sunday afternoon. And I would say on average, maybe like every other week, I spent like a good several hour chunk of sewing. Nice. And kind of similar to Jody, I mean, I feel like I try to get it in when I can and have remembered Jody saying in the past that she gets up sometimes a half hour or an hour early to sew. And I think that's a great idea, but I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so I try to take my chunk um, at the end of the day or on on weekends. Um, and mine sometimes is deadline driven, you know, and not necessarily by, you know, for a project I'm making for the magazine, but um, my own internal deadline. But for me, it's also a way to refuel my creative energies because I feel like I'm not, I don't draw, I don't paint, I do some other creative, crafty kind of hobbies, but I feel like every once in a while I just need to sit down and sew and put colors together and try new things in order to be creative. 
I actually am lucky enough to sew most nights. Um, my husband works pretty late at night, so I'm usually home by myself. So I'll put on um, Netflix and do a little sewing. And I'm actually this year doing a, a daily hexagon, too. So that forces me at least to touch fabric once a day, even if it only takes me a few minutes to make the one hexagon. So um, try to do it as much as I can. Awesome. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back answering some Join American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ Magazine. See our editors share their tips, ideas, and techniques by visiting allpeoplequilt.com and clicking on videos. Welcome back to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm here with all of the editors, and we're answering some more fun quilting questions. So I think this one is an easy one, but maybe it's not. What's your favorite color of fabric to use? Scrappy. Oh. Uh, it's not an easy co- question for me, really. Um, I My favorite quilts are scrappy quilts. The more, the merrier. Um I, I mean, if you, and it depends on, um, the genre of fabric I'm working with, I think, too. You know, if I'm working with batiks, I love the bright, saturated colors. I love fuchsia in batiks. That's the one, if you see them on the wall, fuchsia and lime green are the ones that gravitate toward with batiks. Um, I think if I'm looking at reproduction fabrics, it's the navies and the claret reds are my favorite. So it kind of depends on what kind of fabrics I'm working with. But truth be told, I love it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I usually gravitate a lot toward lavender and light blue, and lately sage green has been sneaking in there, so I'm wondering if it might take the top spot. Oh, <laughs> nice. And I've, uh, I'm right now working on a quilt with a lot of low-volume fabrics and then some bright jewel tone prints that really pop out. So I would say right now, those are my favorites. But yeah, colors, my favorite colors kind of change over time. And I am a black and white girl. I love (laughs) neutrals. um, But right now I'm really loving yellow. Um, Just kind of that pop of color against the neutrals. Okay, what is the first quilt you've ever made? Well, going back to Joanna's comment about being naive, uh, the first (laughs) class that I took was a double wedding ring. Huh? Uh, <laughs> that quilt is still not finished. It's a UFO in my <laughs> no. basement. I know exactly where it is. Um, the melons and arcs have been put together, but it was a technique where those final four squares, little four patch thing in the center of each of those melons and arcs, um, it, they never quite fit. It never quite worked. So um, my very first quilt uh, is, is still a UFO. 
Uh, my very oh, and I should say it was 1989, so it's mauve and dusty blue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my very first quilt <clears throat> was actually um, a very small quilt that I made for my dog. I was learning to quilt from a book, and it had mentioned start with the easy stuff and then move on to things that have points because they have to line up. And I thought, well, forget that. I'm going to start with the points, and if they don't line up, my dog will never know. So that's where I started. It was a friendship star quilt. I actually brought it in recently for a reader tips video on, I believe it was the one on labeling, because I ended up free motion quilting the names of my dogs and their adoption dates into the sashing, which, again, for a very first project, I don't know what I was thinking, because that was hard. But it actually turned out pretty nice. I think it was because I didn't know enough that it was a it can be a difficult technique. So I was just like, okay, that's what I want to do, and I did it. So, And my very first quilt was a small little table topper. Um, the pattern was in Quilts and More magazine, and it was called Bay Breeze. And um, the now art director and I were learning how to quilt from a fellow staff member, and she, we got to pick the project, but she thought it was a good one because it was fairly easy. It was four patches and, and setting squares and a small manageable size. So that's the first one I ever pieced and finished. Um, my first quilt is what we call the easiest quilt ever in the office. Um, and we actually have that pattern online if you're looking for a great beginner pattern. But it basically uses 10-inch squares and you sew them together to make a throw. And it was a great first quilt because I got to cut um, <laughs> learn how to cut consistent shapes and only one shape and then really perfect my quarter inch seam. And I did a lot of seam ripping because things weren't lining up um, and finished that quilt and I gave it to my grandma as a present. So she has my first quilt. Awesome. Um, and I know we're probably all working on a lot of different projects right now, but if you had to um, share one you're currently working on. Well, I... <laughs> You know, it's the curse of the job that I have that I see so many wonderful quilts and inspired by so many different things that I have so many UFOs. Um, I have so many things started. When I first started making quilts, I made big quilts, bed-sized quilts, but I love sampler quilts because it was a different block and I didn't get bored. And that's part of my problem is I get bored really easily, and so I'm always on to the next thing. Well, after I kind of got the sampler quilt out of my system, then I started making miniature quilts. So the, I would draft down anything that was a 12-inch block to a 6- or 4.5-inch block because I wanted to make that quilt, but I needed to make it smaller so I could get it out of my system so I could get to the next thing. So I make a lot of mini quilts, and that's the reason why. It's not necessarily that I have enough wall space anymore because the walls in my home are covered with quilts. But I do always have handwork with me of some kind, um, English paper piecing in particular. And I do love a foundation piecing block. So um, right now samplers have become popular again. So I've been working on some quilts that uh, have sampler blocks in them. But, it, it, you know, honestly, I probably have about 25 projects going right now. I have about four different projects that need to be quilted, including two that were from a quilting bee that I was in in, like, 2012. So they've just been sitting, and I probably should finish them. So I'll, I'll count them, and then I'm also working on something for AP, uh, American Patchwork and quilting April. So, 
And this is Lisa, and I'm working on um, that quilt that I was talking about a few minutes earlier, the low-volume background. It's called The Perfect Setting, and that was in a, in a previous issue of American Patchwork and Quilting. So that is one of the projects I'm working on now. And I am working on a few Christmas projects. Um, I decided I needed a tree skirt, so that is currently what I'm working on. Um, nothing. I guess it's not last minute yet, but I'm... I bet I finish it after the Christmas tree goes up. Okay, let's talk about what our quilting spaces look like. And this maybe will make people feel better because I think people assume we all have really beautiful, amazing rooms full of, you know, stocked supplies and the best products. Mine's really all over my house. <laughs> Truth be told, I have fabric in probably every room in my house. Um, the reality is I, I don't have a specific studio. My sewing machine's on the kitchen table or the dining room table. Um, I've got fabric and cutting uh, mats in the kitchen. I have my ironing board set up in my bathroom. Um, <laughs> I have stacks of books and fabrics in um, the room that I watch television in. And even the chair in my bedroom has fabric stacked on it. So I I have it all over my house. My family will tell you that it's, you know, Mm -hmm. invaded um, our space. So uh, that's the reality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have moved twice in the last three months or so. And I even have a picture on Instagram where I had a guest bathroom that was full of fabric because that was my fabric closet. And Jody actually commented, I see nothing unusual about this. My ironing board lives in the bathroom. Yeah. So it, she's telling the truth. Yeah. Um, but now that hopefully this is the last move for a while and I actually have a dedicated attic loft space that I'm hoping to make into my dream sewing space. Except it's pretty much right now just a pile of boxes in the middle of the room. And then the sewing machine is on the kitchen table because that was what was unpacked. So that's my current space. And I don't really have a dedicated space right now, but... Um, in the, in the last year, I've like renovated a three, our three season porch on the outside of, or on the back of our house and have turned that into a place where I do some of my stained glass projects and have thought about moving some of my sewing fabric in there, but it gets so cold in the winter and hot mm-hmm. in the summer here in the Midwest. So I'm thinking about maybe trying to convert an extra bedroom into a craft sewing room but I think that might take it takes time away from my sewing so I'm not sure what my plan is moving forward but Lisa, I'm working I on it. I think you and I should work together because we both have these empty rooms now. There you go. <laughs> put our sewing stuff in. Except mine's not currently empty. But, well, uh, mine's, mine's full of boxes. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and Lisa and I actually both store most of our fabric in the office. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all of our drawers when you open them are fabric. <laughs> um, and I just recently uh took half of the spare bedroom over for my sewing space so it's just really a table and an ironing board set up um and I always I don't like to be messy and unorganized so everything has a place and it's put away um and I like to keep everything super neat and clean okay how about your favorite block uh this is Jody Mindslog Cabin um, mine is the Friendship Star. That's what was in that dog quilt that I, mm-hmm. my very first one. And I would say my favorite block has kind of changed over time, but I would say mine right now is the house block. 
that surprised me. I oh, know. I would have yeah. guessed churned yes. well, <laughs> out. I would say that was my favorite first block, but mm. um, I'm going to say log cabin, too, but I've never made a log cabin quilt. I'm doing one right now, and I love it so far, so that might be my new favorite. Excellent. Okay, how about where do you find color inspiration? I think that's the question people have. I think for me, um, it kind of depends on the time of year. I do look love looking at um, Pinterest boards. I think uh, I follow some people on Instagram that are involved in the fashion industry, and they post really some amazing color inspiration, I think. Um, I love people that make handmade jewelry. I think there's a lot of really neat color inspiration there because I also make gemstone jewelry or... uh, handmade jewelry um farmer's market in the summer i love going to the farmer's market and seeing all the different color peppers and beets and you know just all the fruits and vegetables that are out i think the farmer's market is a great place for inspiration i usually look outside that's kind of one of my favorites the sky is i endless inspiration for me especially when it's like just getting to sundown and there's just all the like bright purples and oranges and pinks and colors you wouldn't really expect and then also just, you know, flowers. Flowers are good ones. I feel so cliche saying this, but <laughs> yeah, I just I just find the colors of nature really inspiring. Yep. And this is Lisa and I was I gonna repeat part of both <laughs> of your answers, but um and then I also think like in home decor, if you look through you know, we get to look through a lot of magazines and home decor inspiration and yeah, flowers and just some of the greens in nature, not necessarily flowers, but the different grasses, mm-hmm. and I would say those are some of my main inspiration. I am a cheater, and I pull inspiration from Fat Quarter Bundles because they're already curated for mm-hmm. you, and then, um, you know, I'll pull out colors I don't necessarily love for my home, or I'll use that to add other fabrics that, you know, have that mm-hmm. same look, but sometimes you'll just have a print you really, really love, and it has colors in it and um, kind of using that to curate colors. I think we're very fortunate. We live in the Midwest and we actually have four seasons and so we have lots of different color inspiration from nature um, no matter what time of year it is. So I think I feel very fortunate to live where I live. Awesome. So Mm -hmm. we are going to wrap up the show and Pat will be back next week. So we'll see you. Well, Pat will be talking (laughs) to you guys next week. Bye guys. to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. 
And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.